This January, we're following the lectionary texts and the liturgical calendar with other Christian communities around the world. And today's section in the liturgical calendar is about the baptism of Jesus, as you've heard this morning. And today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. And you can find it on page 60 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along there, or you can follow along on the screens. Listen to God's word. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the gift of God's word. Let us pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The baptism of Jesus is a familiar scene in the New Testament. Each gospel gives an account of the baptism and has their own particularity. And as we read this passage, I'm always struck by the strange and frankly bizarre character of John the Baptist. He feels like, to me, that awkward street preacher that you meet in San Francisco when you get off the train, and they're saying all these bizarre things through a microphone connected to one of those speakers on a wheel as they walk through the street. Yet, unlike those street preachers, where you just want to run to the other side of the street and cross and get away from them, the people are actually drawn to hear what John has to say not just drawn to what he has to say, but they're wondering, is this the Messiah? Is John the Messiah? People are filled with expectations as they come to be baptized by him. But John is quick to distance himself from some of those expectations. He tells them that he is not that one, but there's one who is coming, one who will baptize, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then John says this, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Spirit and fire. Now, this metaphor that John gives would have been filled with great meaning for the people gathered that day on the banks of the Jordan. And one must assume, given that John is imprisoned right after this event takes place, that the people that were gathered at the Jordan were not from royalty. They weren't part of Herod's clan or Herod's crew. 
they were from a more humble position in life, probably farmers, laborers, common persons. And those laborers and farmers, they would have been quite familiar with the winnowing fork. I'm sure none of us, do any of us know what a winnowing fork is? This is not common. Oh, David, okay, a handful of us know what a winnowing fork is. I was wrong. I, I made a bad assumption. But I assume that for many of us, this is not a common tool that we use on a daily basis. But the winnowing fork is a tool that's used in the refining process of the wheat plant. And the process looks something like this. You gather the wheat from the fields. Once it's dried, you get the plant out onto the threshing floor. And then they would add what looked like sheets of plywood behind animals and connect them to the animals. And underneath the wood would have spikes and other kind of rudimentary objects so that when the animal would pull this board on the threshing floor, it would rip up the wheat into all its different pieces so that you would have the straw, you would have the grain, you would have the chaff, all there in a big heap on the floor. Everything's right there on the floor. And then somebody would take a winnowing fork, which looked like a fork that you eat your salad with, but magnified times 100. It had long forks like this big with a big long handle, and they would scoop into all that mess of stuff and lift it up. And as they went through this process of dipping down and dipping up, what eventually would happen is the wind would come by, and it would take the chaff away. It would take the straw away as they threw it up into the air. But what remained in that place, what was heavy enough to not be drawn away by the wind, was the grain. And then once the grain remained at the bottom of the threshing floor, you could gather it in and put it in the storehouse, put it into the granary, because that's what was needed to make bread for other consumable products. So there's a process of refinement that was needed to gather just the plant, the fruit-bearing part of the plant. About a week ago, my wife and I watched this new TV show on Netflix. It's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. In the past week and a half, I've told this story a couple of times to some people, so I'm sorry if it's repetitive. I'm sorry if it's repetitive, but it's profound. The show was so delightful. I've never heard of Marie Kondo before. Other people have heard of her. I've read her book, know things about her. I don't know anything about her until I watch this TV show. She is a person, uh, I believe she's from Japan, and she speaks a little bit of English, and she brings a translator with her, and she becomes a consultant to go into people's homes to help them do tidying up. Help them do tidying up. And it's a fascinating show. And at one point in the show, she asks the family to take all of their clothes, everything out of their closets, out of their dressers, all of it, everything out of storage, and dump it onto the bed like the modern-day equivalent of the threshing floor. Just get it all out there. Get it all out there. And once it's all there, she asks them to go through every single item of clothing, and she asks them one question. She says, does it spark joy? Does the item spark joy for you? If it doesn't, you can let it go. And if you let it go, say thank you to it. It served a purpose at some point in your life. Even if you didn't use it and you bought this clothing item and you had it for five years and you never wore it, she was so gentle. She said, just say thank you. At some point, your imagination thought, I want this. And you could tell that in the TV show, 
there was so much grace and peace in this framing question of spark joy. It wasn't violent. Her question did not ask or provoke shame or guilt in the family. But it just allowed the people to reorient their belongings, but more so than their belongings, their place of residence, to items that spark joy for them. It was profound. And then she moved them from the bedroom to all the other rooms in the house and did the same process. Get it all out onto the floor, in the garage, dump everything out, get it all out. Let's go, let's make this the threshing floor. Let's get it all out. It was, it was fascinating. And you could tell there was so much freedom in this process for the families that what remained was the things that sparked joy. The TV show, in fact, was so compelling that my wife and I decided to do the exact same thing later that day. We watched one episode, we dumped all of our clothes onto our bed, and we went through every single piece of clothing that day. And by using that framing question, we got rid of half of our clothes. It was amazing. And now they're all sitting in big garbage bags waiting for the Trinity garage sale. Maybe (laughs) it will spark joy for one of you or someone else from the community. And it was interesting watching the show because as people grabbed these items, you would see that for one person, he had a collection of shoes that he loved. And parting with his shoes, he would start tearing up about it. And these wells, he would, he would be like, they're just shoes, you would think. But not until you went through the process yourself of dipping down and picking up. For my own self, I, I came across one shirt that, it was, just, it was a shirt. It was an undershirt that you wore when you played football. And I had it since I was in high school. I hadn't worn this shirt in 10 years. But it held some sentimental value for me. Uh, from playing football. But more than that, it was the friends that I played football with. And one of my good friends I played football with died a few years ago. And so as I held that shirt in my hand, I held, it felt like I was holding on to my friend that died. And would I be letting go of him? But no. She said, just say thank you to it and let it go. It served a great purpose and a purpose connected with that friend and those relationships that you had. You can let it go. Say thank you. Drew, you can put the quote on the screen from Karl Barth. Karl Barth once wrote this about baptism. He said, To be baptized means to be immersed, to be sunk in a foreign element, to be covered by a tide of purification. And the human who emerges from the water is not the same human who entered it. One person dies and another is born. The baptized person is no longer to be identified with the person who died. I often imagine that what Bart has to say here about a human emerging from water and how that human is not the same one who entered it, true to be of the lifelong baptism of spirit and fire that John the Baptist speaks of here, the one where Jesus has the winnowing fork in his hand and that he is ready to dip into the threshing floor and let the chaff go, let the straw go, but gather together the part of the plant that bears fruit. Traditionally, I think when we've heard this part of the story in the baptism of Jesus, this part with the winnowing fork, we like to read right over it. This element of judgment theme, it sounds a bit terrifying, especially the idea of unquenchable fire. But I think that's unfortunate for us because one of the reasons we're scared of this idea traditionally is that we think Jesus is judging us as whole person. Does my whole person go into the granary? Or does my whole person 
become part of the unquenchable fire. Either I'm in or I'm out. And I just don't think that's necessarily what this metaphor is saying to us. Because Luke comments that John continued to share good news after he says this about the winnowing fork. So if he continues to share good news, then this meant good news for the people that were hearing it for the very first time. It wasn't a shame-provoking comment. It wasn't a guilt-provoking comment. It was good news for the community, thinking of Jesus and his metaphor of holding a winnowing fork. It was good news. I wonder if as we ponder this text together and the separating of the wheat from the chaff, maybe it's not whole persons, but maybe it's our person, our whole lives, maybe our communities, maybe our world. Maybe it's not necessarily my whole person being in or out, but the parts of who I am. Maybe there's a sanctification that's being called forth from this, the Holy Spirit working in us. That if I were to be like a wheat plant or a wardrobe of clothes, and we pour all of ourselves out in front of God, our work, our family, sports, TV, leisure, all of it, and we allow Jesus to do the work of the winnowing fork, with all that stuff out in front of God. And unlike tidying up, there's not a framing question, but there's this metaphor. Jesus baptizes with spirit and fire. And as that winnowing fork dips into our lives and lifts us up, what remains, what falls down into the threshing floor that bears fruit? But what takes the gentle breeze away, the wind, the spirit, the pneuma? What carries it away? I think there's a lot of freedom in this metaphor from the Gospel of Luke, but I think there's a bit of struggle for us as well. Because we're not really like clothes in a closet. We're bound by certain realities of life that we need to survive in this world that we live in. In some way, our lives can be divided up, and you can look at all the different pieces of who we are and think about ourselves in this way. We must work. We must go to school. We must do all of these things. But for those humble people gathered by the Jordan... This good news, I think it did have implications even for their labor, for the stuff that they had to do. But maybe it didn't mean that they had to do it the way that Herod wanted them to do it. Maybe Jesus was giving them a new frame of reference to work and labor in a new kind of way, to bear fruit in the midst of the things that they were already needing to do. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why Herod ends up jailing John the Baptist, as the text says, to shut him up. And as I ponder this metaphor, and though I think the winnowing fork is a beautiful image of what the baptism of Jesus does in our life, the most compelling aspect of this to me is the idea of Jesus gathering into his granary, Jesus gathering into his storehouse. The compelling part of the TV show that I watched wasn't necessarily going through every piece of clothing. That's tedious and very difficult and hard work. But the beautiful vision is a home that's only filled with items that spark joy. And wouldn't a beautiful vision be of our lives that bear fruit, that we are Jesus' storehouses, that we are that beautiful granary, where the parts of the wheat plant that were necessary to bear fruit but are no longer necessary can just be taken away by the wind, 
by the pneuma, by the Holy Spirit. And what remains is what bears fruit. Yesterday we had our visioning retreat for a Trinity session. Your elders gathered for the first time yesterday for this year. And we had a wonderful meeting yesterday. I Hopefully you all who are part of that felt it was wonderful as well. We spent most of our time talking about a few questions with each other. Why do we exist? Why are we Trinity? What makes us truly who we are as a congregation? And what makes us do the things that we do the way we do them? What's the why behind who we are? And why does this matter for people's lives and the lives of those around us in the community? And while we spent time talking about these questions, they were simple questions, but they were also profound in that what I could see taking place in those conversations was giving shape, was giving shape to our life as a congregation in such a way that we would be like that storehouse, that granary. It was beginning to take shape that, that the things that don't connect to the why we are who we are were being let go. There was a gentle aspect of the winnowing fork taking place yesterday in the midst of your session's work. It was beautiful, actually. Every once in a while, I think it's great, like at the beginning of the year, to have a process where intentionally we invite the baptism of spirit and fire into our lives, the winnowing fork. And the winnowing fork for Jesus and his own baptism shows a future movement into the world as God's Son, a prophetic witness, obedient to God the Father. And it's a beautiful vision of his ministry. And for us in our baptism, in this ongoing baptism of spirit and fire, it frees us. It frees us, frankly, to let go of those things, the chaff and the straw, so that we can be the grains gathered into the storehouse. And we can be the storehouses. Our lives can be the storehouses. The community we live in, this church, can be filled with the grain. We can be a granary. May the baptism of spirit and fire be alive in us, in our church, and in our world. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, there are many tools and ways in which you want to bring about the fruit that you want born in us, God. And on this baptism day in which we remember Christ's baptism, may we too ponder what it looks like for us to live lives that bear fruit for you so that this world we live in would be bearing fruit, that we would look around and we would see Jesus in our community and in our world and in this church. Lord, continue to guide us and give shape to our future vision of what it would look like to be, to be a house, to be a house of God that would be bearing fruit. Lord, we continue to pray and we continue to worship you in this service. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and beloved name. Amen. Will you rise?